Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Tuesday, October 3rd, 2022. It's been 3,139 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 222 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, open-source intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Our chief content officer was traveling on Monday for a personal matter, so today's report will be a little more brief and not include some of our usual features. The situation in Ukraine is pretty dynamic right now, but at some point we just have to finish the script and start recording. So make sure you stick around for the late-breaking news segment at the end. We thank you for your understanding. And let's get started with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, our assessment that Russian defensive lines in Kherson were collapsing over a large area was accurate, with Russian forces now withdrawing from previously critical defensive positions and unable to respond to the Ukrainian advance. Second, our assessment in late July that once the Russian Viskopilia salient in northern Kherson collapsed, the withdrawal of Russian troops would accelerate was accurate. Third, we maintain our assessment that Russia is incapable of responding simultaneously to three counteroffensives in Luhansk, Kharkiv, and Kherson. Fourth, we maintain that if a Russian force of company size or larger surrenders in northern Kherson, it will create a cascade of surrendering Russian troops. The defensive lines in northern Kherson are at high risk of complete collapse. Fifth, we assess that mass surrenders could become a logistical problem for Ukraine, which could overwhelm the ongoing counteroffensive. Sixth, we maintain that using tactical nuclear weapons on the battlefield is highly unlikely, as it would require striking what the Kremlin believes is Russian soil, and Russian forces are incapable of fighting in a conventional environment, let alone a CBRN setting. CBRN means chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear. Seventh, we assess that the Kremlin is facing its worst crisis in the information space since Vladimir Putin became president. Moscow not only has not set conditions for the collapse of its military mission in Ukraine, but less than a week ago portrayed the so-called special military operation as having achieved a great victory in annexing Luhansk, Donetsk, Zaporizhia, and Kherson. The state Duma appears to be looking for an off-ramp for Zaporizhia and Kherson and did not ratify the new borders for the two oblasts. State media journalists, propagandists, members of the Duma, and other influencers are now openly critical of the Kremlin, 
the Ministry of Defense, and Putin's inner circle. Eighth, we maintain Russia's mobilization efforts are ineffective due to corruption, a lack of preparation, violation of the social contract with the Russian people, and conscripts being sent en masse to Ukraine without vital equipment or training. Ninth, we maintain that the next five days are critical as the Kremlin reveals its border intentions. Tenth, in our assessment, there is a heightened risk of terror attacks on Ukrainian cities in central and western Ukraine over the next few days with the ramifications of the sham referendum borders. To be explicitly clear, the clearest of clear, we have no belief or concern that would include weapons of mass destruction. Okay? Eleventh, we maintain we are in the mutually assured destruction instability paradox due to irresponsible language from the Kremlin, looming decisions from Moscow leadership, and the deteriorating kinetic warfare situation for Russian troops in Ukraine. Twelfth, several news publications in Western journalism are attempting to take advantage of heightened concerns over nuclear war with poorly researched stories and sensational headlines. In our assessment, the Western audience is ill-served amplifying these reports, which are overblowing the current situation. So go ahead and unshare that on Facebook. And finally, we maintain our assessment that the Russian military in Ukraine is combat-destroyed, with no meaningful way to respond to the ongoing and accelerating collapse on multiple fronts. It was reported the Russian 58th Combined Arms Army is now combat-destroyed. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. At the time of recording, there was a report that the Russian Ministry of Defense had ordered a general retreat of Russian troops in the northern part of the Kherson Oblast. We can't verify the claim, but it does appear that Russian forces have started a large-scale retreat north of a line from Davidi Brid to Malova. Officially, Ukraine maintained tight operational security in Kherson. There was, however, a high volume of information in the social intelligence space, which is unusual for Kherson, and the Russian information space remained panicked. Ukraine's counteroffensive in Kherson moved approximately 32 kilometers in less than three days. There is dense fog of war, and Russian defensive lines are unstable. A large salient is forming in northern Kherson, with thousands of Russian troops running out of options. Along the west bank of the Dnipro River, Russian defenses collapsed completely. Ukrainian forces have advanced to Dudchene and control about 75% of the town. Russian troops blew up the causeway in the southern part of the town to delay the advance and retreated. There are multiple but unconfirmed reports that Russian troops then left the southern part of Dudchene and retreated to Malova, leaving it a no-man's land. On October 2nd, the only settlement we didn't have information about along the bank of the Dnipro was Mikhailivka, which was confirmed as liberated by Ukrainian forces yesterday. Local residents reported that Russian forces had left Chervone, which would be a significant development indicating that Russian troops further north on the Inulets River could be fighting a rearguard action to support a retreat. The alternative is worse— the line of defense to their rear has or is collapsing, and they're at risk of encirclement. The third possibility is that the report from local residents is incorrect. 
Russian forces from Starusilia to Davidi Brid are at low but notable risk of encirclement. The Russian VDV troops in Davidi Brid have been formidable defenders, inflicting heavy casualties on Ukrainian forces for weeks, despite numerous attempts to push them out of the town. Ukraine has switched tactics and is using light infantry to dig into the forested areas west of the village after using artillery, drone strikes, and close air support to push Russian troops out of the area. There are unconfirmed reports on the Inulets River bridgehead that Ukrainian forces were able to push south, retaking Stepova, which they briefly held in September. If Ukrainian troops can push to Charivne, a secondary ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, will be threatened. The bigger challenge for Russian forces is the T-2207 highway G-lock to Davri Brid is challenged at the Inulets River bridgehead. Russia knows it, which is likely the main reason the town has been ferociously defended. The T-403 highway G-lock is severed at Dudchene. On paper, because Russia still holds Milova and reportedly is reinforcing its positions there, it appears that the last effective supply line remains. The problem is that Milova is now well within the range of Ukrainian artillery. Russia could set up firebases on the east side of the Dnipro, but they can't remain static. Points on the east bank under Russian control are now well within the range of Ukrainian Multiple Launch Rocket Systems, or MLRS. They no longer have to rely on HIMARS and aviation to strike these areas. Northwest of Kherson, Mirolyo Bivka was liberated. The status of Pravdine, where Ukraine has suffered heavy losses during multiple liberation attempts, is unknown. The town has become a no-man's land, and Russian troops would be in a technical encirclement if it is still occupied. Russian and Ukrainian military leaders clearly believe that Pravdine is a critical defense point, given the number of resources both have dedicated. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that an attack on Ternovi Podi was repelled. We're not prepared to update the map and consider the village a no-man's land. Operational Command South, or OCS, reported that multiple ammunition depots within Kherson and the immediate suburbs were targeted by rockets fired by HIMARS. Russian troop convoys in Darivka came under fire at the pontoon bridge, and Russian supply points were attacked in Berislav and Novokhovka. The Ukrainian Air Force performed nine airstrikes, and ground forces carried out 290 fire missions. In maintaining operational security, there was no information on what was targeted. Let's shift to our assessment here. Russian defensive lines are in complete collapse. The situation is very dynamic, and our maps are likely conservative. Due to low morale, lack of command and control, supply issues, losing their artillery advantage, the inability of the Russian Air Force to provide theater-wide close air support in northern Kherson, and other factors, we believe that Russian troops will withdraw from northern Kherson. In Lehman, Russian forces suffered catastrophic personnel and equipment losses during a chaotic retreat. In Kherson Oblast, if Russian troops wait too long to withdraw, a similar retreat could create an unspeakable number of casualties. We've read other analyses that the areas are heavily mined, but Russian troops reported themselves the area wasn't mined, even after the counteroffensive started, because they continued to believe they would relaunch a northern offensive themselves.
Now, don't get me wrong, anti-tank and anti-personnel mines will be a challenge for Ukrainian forces, but we believe the risk is overstated. Retreating Russian forces will need to use those same roads, and based on Kharkiv, Donetsk, and Luhansk, they have not effectively used mines to support a retreat in the past. The long and short of it is, Russian troops are in trouble. A further indication of the dire situation for Russian troops and their collaborators in Kherson, the Kremlin might be looking for an off-ramp. While the Duma ratified annexation, the issue of borders for Kherson and Zaporizhia have been paused so that officials can do, quote, consultations. Don't get too excited that Moscow will give up everything west of the Dnipro, though. The administrative capital for Kherson Oblast is Kherson, and it remains the only major city Russia captured intact since February 24th. For this reason, it seems implausible that the Kremlin will be willing to give up the west bank of the Dnipro. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia. The situation at the Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Plant, or ZNPP, is stable, and occupation authorities released Ihor Murashov, director general of ZNPP, after a vigorous protest by the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA. So far, no reason has been given for his detention. Four people were killed and four more were wounded in what appears to have been a targeted attack on Nikopol to terrorize citizens. In a salvo of 30 grad rockets fired by MLRS, more than 30 large apartment blocks and homes were damaged, with four apartments totally destroyed in one building when it suffered a direct hit. The attack targeted the public water pumping station, disabling water service to Nikopol, and knocked out power to 7,000 homes. From Nikopol to Marchanets, grain storage was destroyed along with stores, and a school was badly damaged. Russian missiles struck Zaporizhia and Dnipro. Ukrainian officials did not release additional information due to operational security. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southern Zaporizhia. The only fighting we can report is sporadic artillery fire from the Donetsk-Zaporizhia administrative border to Huliapola to Orihiv. There are additional activities in one location, but it has been requested to maintain operational security. Like Kherson, the Russian Duma did not establish official borders as part of the sham annexation of Zaporizhia, and stated they would need to do, quote, consultations. In southwestern Donetsk, the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, militia, made one claim of battlefield success north of Khorlivka and claimed to have destroyed two Ukrainian tanks and eight various armored vehicles across the oblast. Ukrainian forces launched 180 fire missions on the occupied territories. The GSAFU reported fighting east of New York with no change in territorial control. There was also fighting reported east of Kamyanka, with elements of the 1st Army Corps unable to improve their positions. Russian proxy forces continued their attempts to capture Nevelske 
and suffered heavy losses. Some assessment here. The renewed attacks on Nevelske after several failed advances on Pervomaiske from Piski indicate that Ukrainian forces can still maintain defensive positions and use Nevelske as a forward operating base. It is unlikely the DNR will find success here due to the terrain advances Ukraine holds. The DNR renewed attempts to improve positions on the southern flank of Marinka, with a repeat of its greatest hits, failed offensives toward the settlement of Pobida. Let's move on to northeast Donetsk. We maintain that the remainder of northeast Donetsk still under Russian occupation is a lost cause. The Russian Duma ratified the borders of annexation after the sham referendum, even though Russian forces only control 40 to 42 percent of Donetsk Oblast. Most of that territory was established in 2015 as part of the Minsk II agreement. Pointless counteroffensives continue. It is worth noting that some of the most extreme Russian agent provocateurs and propagandists are calling the offensive on Bakhmut and Solidar a waste of resources. They are openly questioning the Kremlin's decision to continue the operation and asking why private military company or PMC Wagner Group, viewed in Russian circles as more effective than the Russian army, hasn't been redeployed to Luhansk. And the offensive around Bakhmut doesn't just involve PMC Wagner. The Russian VKS, which is their air force, Russian artillery units, and elements of the 1st Army Corps of the DNR are also involved in the operation. Chechen units of the 141st Akhmat were previously engaged, suffered heavy losses in Mayorsk, and were withdrawn. Russia also sacrificed one of its last remaining combat-effective companies in September. Russian forces attempted to advance on Spirna and Vimka again without success. The advances make no sense, tactically or strategically. Please make this make sense. Fighting continued on the southern edge of Bakhmutska, led by PMC Wagner Group, with no change in the situation. It was reportedly intense at times. There was an unconfirmed report that residents in Bakhmut were being told to stay in their homes for the next few days due to a looming Ukrainian counteroffensive. We don't believe this report has much weight, but it just crossed the line of worth mentioning in the situation report. PMC Wagner attempted to advance on Ozaryanivka, but could not gain new ground, with Ukrainian forces stiffly defending the edges of Zaitseve. That would be the Zaitseve south of Bakhmut. The 1st Army Corps of the DNR, 3rd Brigade, likely did a brief operational pause on Sunday. They renewed attacks on Zaitseve and Mayorsk, finding success on the southern edge of Zaitseve, destroying a Ukrainian defensive point. In Luhansk, defensive lines for Russian forces have temporarily stabilized, but in our assessment, this is more likely due to Ukrainian troops consolidating territorial gains and fortifying new GLOCs. Ukrainian forces didn't make any verifiable gains in Luhansk on October 3rd. However, in Kharkiv, Ukrainian forces made significant advances to the Luhansk administrative border, impacting the Russian hub of Svatov. There were reports that Russian officials ordered the evacuation of civilians from Svatov less than a month after Russian collaborators fled Kharkiv to the city in the Luhansk oblast. Svatov could be described as being in a very loose encirclement. 
Ukrainian forces now control three G-locks to the city from the northwest, west, and south. They remain about 30 kilometers away in all directions, which puts the city within the range of MLRS. Now, some of you may be quick to point out that M777 artillery and other NATO-provided 155mm artillery units can now reach Svatov too. However, that requires Excalibur shells, which are better used for precision strikes. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, has thrown some recently conscripted troops at Ukrainian advances, which has had the predicted impact. There are numerous videos and pictures of Russian casualties, with Ukrainian forces reporting that newly formed Russian units are incapable of fighting due to a lack of training, retreat, or surrender. It is critical to note that there have been no large-scale surrenders. Most groups are smaller than a squad and were separated or became lost or surrendered after other members of their unit were killed. While we're on the subject of prisoners of war, a video has emerged showing what appeared to be Ukrainian troops interrogating a Russian soldier while one repeatedly kicked the kneeling soldier in the ribs. One person off-camera told them to stop the abuse, but others refused. When the Russian soldier tries to lift his body up to avoid the blows, another person puts his boot on his back. Okay, let's talk about this. This is assessment here. The truth matters. And reporting and identifying Ukrainian war crimes is a sensitive matter, especially after the Amnesty International report, which attempted to provide a false moral equivalency between Ukrainian troops providing a desperate defense in the early months of the war to Russian troops, systemic executions, torture, castration of POWs, and targeting of civilians and civilian infrastructure. The truth matters, and we uphold the truth. And right now, the truth is there is strong video evidence that a group of Ukrainian soldiers tortured a Russian POW. There is no evidence to suggest this is systemic or condoned by the general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine. All war crimes, by either belligerent, should be investigated. Pro-Russian mill blogger War Gonzo, which has provided a high degree of accuracy on the situation since Lehman, wrote a pessimistic assessment of the defense of Kremina. Russian forces did not build deep defenses while Lehman was under siege and currently lack combat-capable reserves and are facing encirclement. The main G-lock to the town has been severed, complicating its defense. Semyon Pegov admitted that the loss of Kremina could create a ripple effect to Lysychansk and north to Svatov. Reports that Ukrainian forces had advanced to the edge of Lysychansk were likely a psychological operation. There are multiple reports that Russians who brought their families to Lysychansk for work on restoring the town are being evacuated. Collaborators, on the other hand, are being told they will not be removed from the city, which has been a pattern repeated through all of the Russian withdrawals. The Russian state Duma ratified the sham annexation of Luhansk, even though its borders are on the brink of collapse. In our assessment, the defensive lines Russian forces are attempting to build from Svatov to Kremina will not hold. Both towns will likely fall under Ukrainian control in October. Moving on to the Kharkiv region. The Borova City Council reported that almost the entire Romada fell under Ukrainian control on October 3rd, 
after Russian forces retreated. A flood of videos appeared on social media showing Ukrainian troops in multiple towns and people celebrating in the center square of Borova. Our assessment that the video made by Russian forces in the same square on October 1st was a last-man-out video and not proof of continued occupation was accurate. Videos coming out of Borova show that the town did not suffer from the heavy fighting that ravaged other liberated communities. Ukrainian officials have found a Russian torture chamber in Piskiradkivsky and evidence of other war crimes. This should be expected throughout all liberated territories. The retreat of Russian troops from the Borova Hromada has moved the line of conflict to the Kharkiv Luhansk administrative border. Ukrainian forces are between 24 and 30 kilometers away from Svatov in Luhansk and can establish fire bases using artillery and put the city under fire control. North of Borova, Bohuslavka has been liberated by Ukrainian forces. Russian forces are believed to hold Krulyakivka on the east bank of the Oskil, which is a bridgehead to Ukrainian-controlled Sinkova on the west bank. Krulyakivka is a critical defensive point if Russian troops are there, as it represents the last settlement between the advancing Ukrainian forces moving south from Kupiansk. The capture of the town would secure the entire east bank of the Oskil less than three weeks after Russian forces attempted to create a defensive line on it. Ukrainian forces hold administrative, military, or fire control over almost all of the Kharkiv Oblast. Only a small area in the northeast corner remains occupied by Russian troops. There remains no information on Liman Pershi, but reliable sources are reporting the town has become a no-man's land. It is very likely that in October, Kharkiv will be relegated to the same state as Cherniv and Sumy in the situation reports, with really only border activity to report on. Speaking of the Cherniv and Sumy region, Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that a, quote, agricultural enterprise, which usually means like a barn or a food processing building, in the Velikopisarivka Romada was damaged when Russian troops fired across the international border. In the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, Ukrainian air defense shot down at least one Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 drone. There wasn't any additional information. On the Russian front, over the last 24 hours, there have been a lot of headlines that could be described as clickbait about Russian nuclear drills, secretive nuclear military trains on the Ukrainian border, and tidal wave-creating torpedoes. Okay, look. The Russian Federation regularly performs nuclear readiness drills, and the current activity was pre-announced, well before the Ukrainian counteroffensive. The, quote, nuclear train is part of the ongoing drills and is located in central Russia. It is heading west if random reports from somewhat unreliable publications are to be believed. But Russia is a big country, and that is a long way from the Ukrainian border. So, breathe. Western intelligence has publicly stated they do not see any changes in activity that would be a prelude to a nuclear strike. It is critical to understand that Western nations have built a surveillance system beginning in the early 1960s, which has only been refined and improved. 
consider the quality of satellite images available from public companies such as Maxar, which can provide enough detail to identify vehicles and types of aircraft. Now, think about what you can't see without a security clearance. Don't you feel better now? If you watched clips or part of the concert in Moscow that was done to celebrate the sham annexation of four Ukrainian oblasts, you heard cheering crowds as terrifying militant speeches were given. As it turns out, people in those crowds were recording and streaming the event too, and that content is widely available. The cheers and applause you saw from the RIA-approved news broadcasts and streams? They were added by Russian state media. During some of the speeches, the crowd was not only silent, but not even paying attention. We have some late-breaking news. There has been a complete collapse in Kherson. Russian forces have abandoned their defensive positions from Davidibrid to Starusilia to prevent becoming encircled. Thousands of troops are chaotically retreating back to Bereslav and Novokhovka. Russian forces are likely to suffer catastrophic losses in their retreat and will almost certainly abandon equipment and limited caches of ammunition. Now, we are not expecting to see the same amount of ammunition and equipment that we did in Kharkiv due to the supply issues Russian troops have suffered. A quick note here, though, I do want to temper your excitement and remind you that this area has been under solid Russian control since early March. A number of war crimes will likely be discovered in the coming days. Let's shift to some assessment. On July 28th, we wrote about how the campaign in Kherson would take months and resemble the Pacific theater of World War II for the United States and an island-hopping campaign. This assessment was based on one assumption, that Russian forces would not adopt a line defense as their military doctrine calls for, and would turn the villages and towns into fortresses, using artillery and armor to fill the gaps with fire bases and forward operating bases in the scant tree line. We believed this because the gap between some towns exceeds 10 kilometers. By the book, Russian military doctrine does not think of first, second, or third lines of defense. They believe in building a formidable line of defense 10 kilometers deep. That isn't pragmatic in northern Kherson because, by its very nature, there are areas a hundred kilometers square that would be nearly indefensible. Apparently, though, that's exactly what they did. After Ukrainian forces broke through the line of defense on the bank of the Dnipro, there was nothing left. Ukraine got behind the line of artillery, so expect to see a lot of captured artillery pieces in the coming week. And it all fell apart. Once the last town holding back the Viscopilia salient fell, likely before yesterday, there was nothing to fall back to. Russian forces are going to attempt to set up defensive lines from Klozatsky to Bereslav. There is a stunning admission in those words, try to set up, which means despite knowing a counteroffensive was building since June, Russian troops didn't build defenses there, because it didn't fit the doctrine. In our assessment, Kozansky to Bereslav will become Russia's Dunkirk on the banks of the Dnipro River. They will face the wrath of HIMARS, MLRS, artillery, and close air support if they don't surrender. Now, some of you listening might believe a call for mercy is in order, 
or that this makes perfect sense because the actions of the Russian military mean they deserve it. Neither in our assessment are true. There isn't a military on the planet faced with the same situation that would not turn the Novokohovka bridgehead on the west bank of the Dnipro into Dunkirk. It is pragmatic, because wars are won by eliminating the enemy's ability to wage war. In other news, Ukraine is winning. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.